Hello, welcome to Adapt, episode 32, which is brought to you by Mint Mobile, Paperlike, and Hover. My name is Ryan Christoffel, and I'm joined not by Federico Vitici today. As a matter of fact, uh, Federico is on vacation or special assignment, whatever the case may be. You sometimes can never know. Sometimes he's he's at the beach, but then he's working on his iOS review. That's that's usually the case. But uh, but Federico's not here today. But instead, I'm joined by a special guest, my colleague at Mac Stories, John Voorhees. Welcome to the show, John, and thanks for being here. Hey, Ryan. Thanks for having me. It's a real pleasure to be on Adapt for the very first time. I love this show. And I remember back when you and I got together in 2018 in New York City, and you told me all about the idea for this show. It was, And this was months and months before you guys launched it. And the challenges was such a cool idea. I was excited about it back then. And it's it's uh, really it's really turned into quite quite the show. I I love it. I don't never miss an episode of you and Federico talking about the iPad. Oh well, thank you. And unfortunately, we couldn't get a, a challenge in for you this time around. I, you know, I gave I Federico know. a challenge two weeks ago, and what does he do but decide to go on vacation? Like I didn't think it was a very hard challenge. I don't know. You know, maybe no. you can weigh in on that. Well, it's not a very hard challenge, I don't think. And I was very tempted when I listened to that episode and knew that I was going to be on this one to jump in and take Federico's challenge away from him. Wow. But I'm not going to do that because that would be mean. I mean, he would, he, if I, I think he I would, would appreciate probably, it, honestly. I would, well, I would probably, I, look, I wouldn't let him off the hook. If I made my picks today, I would then expect him to come back with even better picks. And I would take all the easy ones because that's just, you know, that's just how I operate. That's true. So, <laughs> I could see that being mean from that standpoint. And that would be mean from that perspective. So, no, I'll, I'll leave that to a, a future episode when, when Federico's back from, from the sun and the sand. Okay. Well, because we don't have that challenge to talk about, I, <laughs> I wanted to talk about something that maybe seems out of place considering what show we are doing right now. Um, but it's kind of one of those things that I couldn't necessarily talk to Federico about, at least not, uh, not the same kind of conversation that you and I can have. And that is a conversation about the Mac, but also about the iPad. Um, and where this comes from is that ever since WWDC, when Apple presented both Apple Silicon Macs, which we don't know any details about them really, other than we can kind of assume that because of how powerful the silicon in devices like the iPad Pro have gotten over the years, that you know Apple being able to put that technology to use inside of a Mac and potentially making it more powerful because of kind of the specifics of Mac hardware that differs from iPad hardware, that the company can do some really exciting things. And they they hinted at that during the keynote. And so on one side there's there's apple silicon Macs, which gets me excited about the platform in a new way but then also mac os big sur which maybe is a bigger thing for me honestly um i i'm really one of the things that drove me away from the mac several years ago i've been using an ipad pro as my main computer since 2015 when the first ipad pro came out i can't believe it's been five years now i know it flies but one of the things that drove me away is that Mac software just seemed to be lagging behind the iPad, um, especially the iPhone, honestly. Like for, for the longest time in recent Apple history, the iPhone was the juggernaut. Um, it was bringing in, a, you know, 
big majority of Apple's income. And so the iPhone, rightfully so, understandably so, received the majority of attention in terms of software. And the iPad benefited from that because they were both running iOS at the time. But the Mac was kind of like, uh, it's, it's here and it's a more mature platform and it's great, but it's not necessarily going to get some of the features or the changes that come to iPhone and iPad as quickly. Uh, it'll probably get them eventually, but maybe it'll be kind of a, a year or two lag time. And I just really, I, I really didn't like that. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm the kind of person and most people who follow my work probably know this. I'm the kind of person who likes new stuff, right? I like right. trying the latest and greatest. And so Apple kind of saying, uh, they didn't say it, but by their actions saying, yeah, the Mac, the Mac's great, but it's not gonna, you know, be the source of much innovation, at least for now. That to me was, was a sign that, okay, it's time for me to jump ship. And this year, it, there's kind of been a shift in the last few years that's been evident in a few ways, but this year, especially at WWDC, it seemed like, okay, now there's a major shift taking place where the Mac is is actually going to be um, kept in step with the iPhone and iPad in a in a much better way than it has been recently for a variety of reasons. You know, one because Apple Silicon means that you know Apple can control the hardware development timeline in a way that they haven't been able to do before when they were dependent on Intel. Um, and also things like SwiftUI, things like Mac Catalyst and other technologies that ensure that both Apple's apps and third-party apps can be actively developed in lockstep across various platforms so that, you know, when you as a developer are trying to decide, and I think it's the same internal debate within Apple, are trying to decide, you know, where should I pour my development time, my, my limited resources, the, the iPhone in most cases is top priority and the iPad kind of in many cases gets second priority because you don't have to necessarily do that much extra on top of your iPhone work. But then in the past, the Mac was a different beast, right? You had to use AppKit. You, it was just a very different process. And now Apple is changing it to where both for themselves and for third parties, it's much easier to build apps that run across all platforms and that can be updated in sync across all platforms, which is important for me in thinking about the future of the Mac, because, you know, if this year we're just kind of a one-off of, oh, look, yeah, we really care about the Mac. The Mac is great because here's Apple Silicon and here's Big Sur, then I'd be like, okay, this that's really nice, but what about the future, right? What about next year when the iPhone and iPad get some new feature in messages, for example, and the Mac gets it a year or two later. But because of some of the other changes that Apple has made within things like developer technologies, I'm actually confident that Apple can keep the platforms in sync in a way that, for me, makes the Mac a more legitimate contender for my kind of computing needs. Because before, when it was going to lag behind, that, that just wasn't the case. And, uh, and so things are starting to shift a little bit for me and my thinking this year in considering the Mac really for the first time seriously in a long time. And, uh, and so you, 
are the resident Mac expert at Mac Stories. Um, right. You know, Federico and I, we we like our iPads and we have Macs. We use Macs for some very limited tasks, namely podcast recording. But you actively use a Mac all the time and use an iPad as well. And so I was really excited about the prospect of having you on, especially in light of all the things that I've been thinking about this summer relating to, you know, my own potential Mac use in the future, because, you know, I, I think you're the perfect person to talk to as someone who uses both platforms and continues to choose to use both platforms rather than kind of going all in on one. Um, and so, so I'm excited to talk about the Mac, believe it or not. Uh, I hope Federico <laughs> doesn't get too upset about that. I, I was actually listening to this week's episode of App Stories the other day, and, you know, you guys talked about Mac Catalyst, and for the most part, Federico's like, yeah, John, this is your episode. You, you talk about <laughs> right. stuff. Um, but he also did share near the end that he is more intrigued by the Mac than he has been in a long time. And so after I heard him say that, I was like, it kind of removed some of my guilt knowing how I was going to talk about this topic with you today. You know, it, it, <laughs> Good. it's not just like, oh, I've, I've got to talk about this while Federico's away, right? Don't, don't, don't let him hear. Um, I would say that I'm probably considering the Mac more strongly than he is at this point. Um, right. And we can maybe get into some of the reasons for that in a little bit. But, but yeah, so I, I think there's a lot that we could potentially talk about around this topic and uh, a lot going on with, with the Mac, but, but certainly we got to talk about the iPad because that, that's an important component in here as well. So I, I guess to kick things off, um, kind of a, 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 maybe you, you might take this as a, an odd question, but um, I wanted to ask you, considering the, the growth of the iPad in recent years and that I know you do use an iPad an awful lot, why do you still use a Mac? And I'm not asking that antagonistically at all, right? But, <laughs> no, but... I understand. It's it's a good question. And look, I think there is an awful lot of room to be optimistic about both the iPad and the Mac these days. I mean, I think what, and we can kind of get into the big picture stuff maybe a little later, but I think that what Apple is doing is creating this continuum of products that just really didn't exist. It was more disjointed before because... You know, you started out with, as you said, the juggernaut of the iPhone and the iPad benefited from that. But a lot of that benefit were, were apps that were largely blown up iPad apps, at least especially in the er, uh, blown up iPhone apps, at least especially in the early days. Now that's been changing and there are a lot of reasons of, with the underlying technologies why that's the case, but it also was still a relatively smaller market compared to the iPhone. And now Apple has tacked on the, the Mac as part of the family in a way that it hasn't been in the past, where you can move these apps more readily from the iPhone up to the iPad and then on up to the Mac. And I think that makes it just easier both for smaller developers who have limited resources, time, and ability to focus on these things, but also for bigger companies that can kind of develop these things in tandem at all at the same time. So I think that that that's definitely benefiting the Mac going forward. And I think it's the reason to be optimistic, especially coming from the perspective of an iPad user. Now, I use the Mac, I guess in part because that's where I started before iOS. And there are a lot of 
apps that I like. But I'm at the point, and but for some of these changes that we're seeing, I have been very close to being, you know, saying, you know what, I'm just going to see what this whole iPad 100% of the time thing is like and see if I can make it happen. And the reason for that isn't so much that I'm unhappy with the Mac per se, I guess, but you know, it was it was one of those things where you could see the writing on the wall where Apple wasn't investing in the hardware. There were a lot of issues with laptops and keyboards and all that sort of thing. The Mac App Store has been kind of a, a, a backwater for a long time. It just, even with the redesign a couple of years ago, it didn't really take off in a meaningful way. And I know Federico and I just interviewed Guy Rambo not long ago who explained how, you know, if he had 10 sales of an app in some countries that would put him in the top charts. And that just gives you an idea of, you know, the, the fact that the Mac app store just really hasn't, hasn't taken hold in the same way that iOS it has on iOS. Now, of course, that's not the only way to get Mac software. And a lot of people get Mac software outside the app store, me included, but it is, I think, an indication that the Mac wasn't doing super well. I think that that's turning around right now. And for me, one of the things, there, there, I guess a lot of why I use a Mac a lot has nothing to do with the Mac itself. It has to do with the fact that I have an office set up in my basement that's separate, a separate workspace for me to work with a nice big 27-inch 4K display. And especially during this pandemic, when I've got my family at home, my wife working from home and my son doing school from home, it, it's not like it was when they were both away during the day when I would have roughly six hours of my day to work wherever I wanted uninterrupted and focused on what I was doing without other people around. So now, probably more than ever, I sit in my office and work at my desk because it's just a better place to get work done um, because there are more people around the house. So there's that. There's also the fact that it's a nice, big, bright display, which I really like. I have tried to do the external displays thing with the iPad Pro, and I like it, but I, it drives me crazy that it has black bars on the side and that it doesn't take f full advantage of the screen. Uh, and I think probably, actually, more than anything else, if that changed, if I got good external display support, I would sit in my office with the iPad Pro hooked up to that display at least as much as I do uh, with the Mac hooked up to it running the Mac. Now, those are kind of like, I guess, practical um, preference type things. The, there are tasks that I do that remain easier on the Mac. And some of this is just personal choice, I guess. And some of it is things that are just easier to do on the Mac. So one that I know a lot of people who do what we do will trot out is editing podcasts. And I know that you and others edit on an iPad and it works. And I've done it myself, not like in, in anything that's been released, but experimenting. And it's good. I, I, I like Ferrite a lot, but I also have a workflow set up that I learned long ago on the Mac that works really well, and I don't really have any need to change it. I like to have the alternative to you to do the iPad if I'm not at home, but I just as soon do it at my Mac, and that's more of a personal preference. 
But then I'll also run into tasks, for instance, uh, a lot of it comes down to doing graphics work I've, or multi-file work. Like if I have to resize a whole bunch of images, which is not something I do a lot, but I can use an app like Retrobatch where I can shoot a bunch of images into it and spit them out in a flash. And they're all processed and renamed and, and put into a folder and ready to go. It's really a nice thing where that would be a very, that would be doable on an iPad, but I'd probably in most circumstances have to do it one image at a time and it would take a lot longer and a lot of taps. Uh, I also do, you know, things like sometimes setting up graphics at Mac stories where I have to, I have a multi-layer image and I have a bunch of different things. And I think about this every year when we do our club stuff and I do a graphic for giveaways that we do that maybe has, you know, two dozen icons in a single image. And I have to kind of space those out and line them up so they look good. And that's super easy in an app like Pixelmator Pro not nearly as easy as doing it on an iPad, even with you know things like the Affinity suite of apps and Photoshop for iPad and, and all those other things. So yeah, there's, there, there's that aspect of it too. Um, my iPad work, I guess, has tended to be, it's interesting. I, like, you know, I started off saying how I work at my Mac a lot because it's my nice isolated area to do work. And that's true. My iPad is my mobile device and it's really where I prefer to write if I can. Um, so one thing I don't do nearly as much as I used to is use a Mac laptop. I have m- migrated to the iPad Pro as my mobile computing device. And for that, it's, it's a lot better in a lot of respects, especially if I'm just mobile in the sense that I'm moving around my house, or maybe I'm going somewhere nearby and I don't have to worry about doing something like one of my Mac intensive um, tasks that I do. It's become my mobile computer for that, especially since it has the cellular data, which I think is, is key. I mean, I've, you know, sitting in the car, driving somewhere for a vacation, being able to deal with my email and check my email and all that. It's just so much easier on an iPad than it is tethering a Mac. And I, I know from experience how easy it is to blow through a, a data plan tethering a, a Mac to it. And so, you know, it's a lot easier to do things like that on an iPad as well. So I have some follow-up questions I want to ask, but before uh-huh. I do that, let me thank a sponsor and then we'll kind of continue this discussion. Uh, this episode of Adapt is brought to you by Mint Mobile. Uh, the folks who can cut your wireless bill to $15 a month with their futuristic approach to wireless. Uh, recently, my wife actually got set up on Mint Mobile. I went through the activation process for her, and I, I was just amazed at how easy it was. Uh, Mint Mobile actually has a really nice app that you can use, which it, if you are used to using you know, one of the big wireless providers in the U.S., um, I'm guessing that that app probably isn't the best experience. Um, the The service that I've used for a while has gone through several revisions of their app, and they seem to somehow never make it good, unfortunately. Um, but it was a great app experience. The activation was really quick, really easy. And uh, she's been using the service for a few weeks, and she has been great with it. it. She's had no connection issues whatsoever. It's been really nice, and there's so much cost savings. So 
I'm really excited about how Mint Mobile has benefited my own family as we have started using it ourselves. Um, if you are still using one of the big wireless providers, you know, have you asked yourself what you're paying for with those big bills? Uh, between expensive retail stores, inflated prices, and hidden fees, there's ample opportunity to take advantage of paying customers like you. This is where Mint Mobile comes in. Mint Mobile provides the same premium network coverage you're used to, but at a fraction of the cost because everything's online. Mint Mobile saves on retail locations and overhead, then passes those savings directly to you, making it easy to cut down your wireless bill to just 15 bucks a month. And I'll note as well that because this is a company that has built their business on the internet, rather than being, you know, an older, more legacy company, they're better at internet things, such as having a good app experience. And if that's important to you, that's a really great feature of this uh, service. Uh, every plan with Mint Mobile comes with unlimited nationwide talk and text, and you can stop paying for unlimited data you'll never use. You just choose between plans with 3, 8, or 12 gigabytes of 4G LTE data. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan, and keep your same phone number along with all your existing contacts. Just ditch your old wireless bill and start saving with Mint Mobile. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com/adapt. That's mintmobile.com/adapt. Go there now and cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com/adapt. Our thanks to Mint Mobile for their support of Adapt and all of Relay FM. Okay, John, would you say that you use the Mac significantly more than you use the iPad? I know you said the iPad's kind of your main mobile computer now, but does that mean that you just use it when you're leaving the house, which obviously these days you're not able to do much? Or, I mean, you mentioned writing a lot on the iPad. How? Mm -hmm. What's kind of the time division between how much you're using in Mac and how much you use the iPad? It's really hard to say. I think it, it varies a lot. I, I do spend more time at my Mac, I think, than I do on my iPad. And maybe it's, I don't know, maybe it's like a 60-40 split or something like that. Um, it's, it's one of those things that varies depending on the day or the task, an awful lot. So, you know, it's a lot to sit at a desk for many hours during the day. So I will usually start out in the morning using my iPad where I do can do things like maybe I'll check my email or maybe I'll see if there are some messages in Slack from somebody on the Mac Stories team, that sort of thing. And then I usually will spend the morning at my Mac doing various things. But then I use the iPad if, for instance, these days, I mean, it's, the weather's nicer in the summer. I try to get outside. I'll sit out in the backyard and use my iPad Pro and, and do some writing out there. Or in the evenings when I'm a little tired of sitting at a desk in a basement, I just, I'll sit on the couch or something or sit in bed or something like that. So it's my way of freeing myself from being bound to a desk all day. I mean, I do like sitting at this desk only because, like I said, I have a nice big screen and a comfortable chair and I've got my setup all ready to go and, and I'm not, uh, I don't have a lot of distractions here, but I don't want to sit here for umpteen hours a day. So I, I use the iPad as a way to move around. I don't really have a lot of space 
here here at my main desk to to use the iPad Pro instead of my Mac. I I don't do that a lot. What I will do though is I have one of those 12 South Park Slope uh, stands, which is really originally designed for a MacBook, MacBook Pro, or I think a MacBook Air will work with it too. And it's just one of these wedge-shaped stands that gets the screen a little higher for a, a laptop. But I'll put the 12-inch 12 12 iPad Pro on it and use it alongside my Mac a lot which is kind of nice. It kind of sits off to the side and I use it for kind of ancillary things while I'm working on the Mac. And that helps a lot when I'm doing things like putting together our Club Mac Stories newsletters where we have a lot of shortcuts and things that we use to, to produce that each week. I have a, a separate table in my office. It's kind of a, where I do photography and prod, various other projects. And sometimes I'll sit there and use the iPad Pro there. But by and large, the iPad Pro is the device that I use when I'm not at my desk. Okay. So it, real quick, on the using the two devices side by side, is mm -hmm. that mainly about the fact that the iPad has certain apps that the, the Mac doesn't, such as shortcuts like you mentioned? Or is it like it's just really nice to have kind of that extra display where you can keep a couple extra apps on screen and they can you know be there but not taking up space on your 27-inch display? What what's the main purpose for that? It's more the former to do things that I can't do on the Mac, and a lot of it times that's shortcuts. And this is something that this is what was driving me, I think, in part to consider an all iPad workflow in the first place. Originally, was because I was becoming frustrated with the fact that there were apps missing on the Mac that I use all the time on the iPad Pro or just workflows. And, and a lot of that does come down to shortcuts in part because it's so integral to what we do at, at Mac Stories. Um, you know, things like resizing images and uploading them to the CDN. Now we have a web app that does that now. So that is more usable or, or and, you know, an improved version of a web app that makes it more usable on a Mac in Safari. So that's not as big an issue as it used to be, but I'd use it for that. I'd use it for the various shortcuts we have to save things for later to include in the newsletter. And I also used it for things like GoodNotes, which is on the Mac, but you know, there, unless you're using something like a Wacom tablet, using GoodNotes on a Mac is good to reference notes that you've previously taken, but I don't find it a great way to actually take notes on the Mac itself. So instead, what I would do is I would have good notes open a lot of times next to my Mac. And so as I was working and thought of something that I needed to do later, instead of dealing with, you know, dropping into a task manager or something, sometimes I just scribble things down in good notes or ideas that I had. And then later, I, once I was done with whatever I'm working on, I go back and and move those things to wherever they belong, whether it's a task manager or some article I was working on or, or whatever it might be. So do you think that the Mac is going to start, I mean, I, I want to talk maybe a little bit later, more big picture of the future of the Mac and the future of the iPad, but it sounds like you have started giving the iPad more and more kind of tasks, responsibilities, because there are things that the iPad can do that the Mac can't necessarily do as well, right? There's certain tools, certain um, apps that are available on the iPad that aren't on the Mac. 
as things start to change in the development world, theoretically that should change as well, right? Where you you don't have many apps that are on the iPad but aren't on the Mac, whether because the developers choose to make those iPad apps available on the Mac App Store on Apple Silicon Macs, which is kind of the, the default option for, for apps. Um, developers can choose to kind of uncheck that box and um, and say, no, I don't want my iPad app to be downloadable on Apple Silicon Macs, but but also things like SwiftUI and Mac Catalyst. Like, Do you foresee in the future you needing the iPad less because the Mac is going to start getting more of those apps that you use all the time? I don't know if it will be a situation where I need I, I don't have to use the iPad as much. I do think it's going to get better on the Mac and it's already, you know, most of the way there. At least most of the apps that I, I work with are on both. And that but that's a that's a conscious choice. I rarely will adopt a new app that I use regularly unless it's on both platforms. Just because I like to be the one that chooses which platform I'm working on. I don't want the work to dictate where I have to work. Now, I haven't completely solved that problem because there are things that I still do on the Mac that are just easier there. But I've really gotten it down to just a very small handful of things. It used to be, for instance, that when I produced our Club Mac Stories newsletter every week using MailChimp, it has a, it's a web app and it just didn't work in Safari on the iPad for years because it just wasn't made to, you know, Safari just didn't work with those kinds of web apps that have text fields and buttons and sliders and, and all that kind of thing. That has changed significantly. It's not perfect, but it's workable. So that's now an option. I also have spent a lot of time trying to move over some of the audio work that I do so that at least the iPad is an option. It's maybe not the best option, but it's an option so I can free myself from the Mac. And it's not because I don't like the Mac or that I don't want to work on a Mac anymore. It's more because I want to be the one who makes the choices to where I happen to be working. So if that, that makes sense to you, I think, I think that all these technologies, things like Mac Catalyst and Swift UI and iPad apps and iOS apps on Apple Silicon Macs, those are all going to make this a lot easier. And I think giving users the choice to use whichever platform they're most comfortable on or whichever one makes most sense for the particular task at hand makes a lot more sense than just kind of being forced into one direction or another depending on what kind of work you do. So it it sounds like from what you've said that the Mac is certainly a more important part of your your current computing life. But I haven't heard a lot necessarily that that speaks to why. I mean, I asked you earlier why you use a Mac, but kind of on the flip side of that, why do you use an iPad? Because I, I do understand this kind of this conflict of um, if there might be a really great app on one platform, but if it's not available anywhere on whatever computer you want to use at a given time, then that's not a great situation to be in. Um, for me personally. I've kind of handled that in the past by reducing the number of platforms that I use. Like that was one of the appeals when I first started using the iPad Pro because before I was using both an iPad and a Mac regularly for different tasks. 
And the appeal of going kind of all in on iPad was that I could simplify my computing device lineup. And one of the benefits is that, you know, I wouldn't have to worry about, oh, is is this app going to be available on a different platform? Because, you know, I had an iPhone and an iPad. And because of the way that those two platforms have been developed in sync, both running iOS, they they tended to have the same apps. You know, sometimes there were iPhone apps that weren't available on an iPad, but but certainly the situation there was a lot better than trying to compare, you know, what apps are available on the Mac versus the iPad and iPhone. And so for me, like I really I really get that. Um, but my solution to it, to so to speak, was that I'm just gonna use, you know, as few platforms as possible so that I don't have to deal with one of those platforms not having a key app that I need. Um, whereas for you, you know, you're using all three, but it sounds like your use of the iPad, um, and correct me if I'm, you know, wrong or not getting the full picture, but it sounds like it's it's kind of like you need it for things like shortcuts. You need it for um, Apple Pencil-related tasks, you know, like using right. GoodNotes. Uh, but outside of that, it's mainly like a nice to have, you know, it's nice to write on it. It's nice to do whatever on it. Like it being a mobile device isn't necessarily a, a primary strength um, because you could use a Mac laptop for that. And yes, it has LTE, but maybe Apple Silicon laptops for Mac will have that before long. Like, uh, are there other reasons why you're using an iPad rather than primarily just using a Mac? You know, I suppose it's just that I enjoy iPad OS so much. I mean, I like the focus and simplicity of having one or two apps in front of me at a time. Uh, it, it's it's really how I feel at a particular moment more than anything else, too, though, because you could also ask me why I use the Mac, and I could tell you <laughs> that sometimes I just like to have 10 apps open at once and switch between them quickly. Uh, but I do like the focus of having just a couple of apps on screen, especially when I'm doing something like writing. Uh, it, it does help on kind of reducing the clutter and distractions and that sort of thing. I really enjoy the, uh, the keyboard that's available with the iPad Pro now, the portability, the battery life, um, all those things kind of together in one package make it, I think, a particularly good mobile computing uh, you know, solution as opposed to something like a Mac laptop. I just like that it's less fiddly, that there's less screwing around with installing things uh, from third parties or room for, you know, there, there are bugs, but a lot of times it, it's, it feels like it's a lot easier to solve problems on iOS than it ever is on the Mac. That things sometimes just happen on a Mac that are very hard to hard to pinpoint and troubleshoot. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I I'm at the point where I guess I I I like both, and I don't feel like I really want to choose between them. So I just go with whichever platform feels right for the particular task. Well, I think that you know Tim Cook and Luca Maestri are happy with your decisions. <laughs> 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 yes keeps me buying lots and lots of things i suppose exactly yeah and it makes a lot of sense i, I certainly understand and appreciate the appreciation for ipad os and its um elegance and simplicity but you know simplicity in in a good way in lots in lots of respects um, right so I, I totally get that 
I'm just kind of, you know, a, part, a big part of this conversation. Let, okay, let's say the entire reason for this conversation is that I'm thinking through if I were to buy an Apple Silicon Mac when they come out this fall, what what's my computing life going to look like? Like right. I, I would expect that I would go back to having an iPad and Mac and I'm using both of them, but I'm trying to think about the different uses for each of them for me personally. So it's helpful to kind of get at, you know, how you're using them and why. Um, I, I want to talk about the future of the platforms and maybe where they can go from here, kind of growing into the future. Um, but before we do that, let me thank our second sponsor. Uh, this episode of Adapt is brought to you by Paperlike. If you have an iPad, then you will know how great it is to store your notes, drafts, and sketches digitally. But sometimes, drawing with the Apple Pencil doesn't quite feel as good as writing on paper. Paperlike is the iPad screen protector for creators and doers that lets you draw and write like on paper. Whether you're annotating drafts, taking notes, or sketching out your big idea, Paperlike can help you take things to the next level. It reduces muscle fatigue caused by writing on a glass tablet and makes your iPad feel just like a notebook, all while keeping the convenience of digital. Artists love Paperlike too because it's optimized to create the ideal amount of friction and the right stroke resistance for optimal accuracy. So instead of sliding your Apple Pencil around on the glass surface, it feels just like a page in your sketchbook. And unlike other screen protectors, Paperlike enhances your viewing experience. It's made with superior display quality in mind, and Paperlike never disrupts the experience of watching Netflix or YouTube. Uh, the matte anti-glare finish, in fact, even lets you enjoy screen time while you're out in the sun. Perfect for summertime. You know, this is one of the things that I love about Paperlike. It's multi-purpose nature. Personally, I'm not a huge Apple Pencil user. Because, unfortunately, despite some of my family members having great artistic talent, I got the short end of the stick in that department. But for me, Paperlike still serves as a great screen protector. and makes it easier to see when I'm outside, enjoying nature. And so for people who use the pencil regularly and like heading outside, well, Paperlike serves dual purposes. Go to paperlike.com adapt right now to get yours. That's paperlike.com slash adapt. Our thanks to Paperlike for their support of Adapt and all of Relay FM. So one of the big question marks for me for many years now about the Mac and the iPad has been, where do these two platforms go from here? How do they grow up and mature and evolve side by side without one platform kind of limiting the other and an apple in theory you know artificially limiting the let's say the potential for what the ipad can do because they don't want to cannibalize mac sales i mean historically apple has been a really good company in regards to you know building the best product even if it means that it's going to you know mess up sales of their other products uh, and so part of me is like, I don't know that that's what's going on here, but I've always wondered how, how do the Mac and the iPad continue to evolve and become the best versions of whatever they can be without 
merging at some point without you know becoming one device and and while in some respects what apple is saying now is that the future of the platforms is not a merging in hardware it's not a merging in form factor but there is some level of merging in software in that you can have apps that run across them and and share common features especially you know this year with iPadOS 14 and Big Sur you've got sidebars that look very very similar um you've got different interface elements where the the Mac and the iPad are kind of borrowing from each other and inspiring each other and i think before the last couple years i really didn't i really didn't have a good sense for apple's vision for what these products are meant to be it, it seemed like um, and again, this is kind of what contributed to me jumping ship from the Mac and, and going all in on iPad. It seemed like Apple's perspective was the Mac is historic and lots of people love it and it's a really great computer. And if you want kind of a traditional computer, then here's the Mac. You know, it may not be getting the most innovation, um, but it's still, it's still solid. Whereas the iPad is where, you know, we as a company seem to be more excited about. And, and even, you know, when the iPad Pro was first introduced, there was that line from Tim Cook about how, you know, this, this is the future or Apple's clearest vision of the future of personal computing, which to me is like, okay, well, what, what's the Mac for then? It, it just seemed like a legacy platform. Um, and so the iPad has, has been the focus of getting more exciting developments, more more exciting changes. Um, iPad hardware has been really great. It's it's gotten lots of new things before the Mac has. Um, things like Face ID, things like True Tone. Um, the the form factor is just beautiful, and it's it, it just seems like there's there's more exciting stuff up at least, up until recently at least. There's been more exciting stuff happening with the iPad and hardware, and then software. It's had a lot of catching up to do. Um, iPad OS is no Mac OS in terms of its capabilities. And ideally, at some point, the iPad should be able to do more and more, but in a way that remains simple and elegant, in a way that remains accessible to the mass market. And so all this history to say that I think today it seems like Apple has a clearer vision or at least they're sharing that vision with us better than before um, for the Mac and the iPad and their future and, and a future where they don't merge, but they remain distinct. And so um, we can talk about maybe what that is, but um, for you, as you consider the, the moves that Apple has made, the things that they've shared, what do you see as, from Apple's perspective, the reason why these two platforms continue to exist as separate entities and really what do you see their future paths being how how are they going to continue growing and evolving without you know taking away from each other well i think that there is un- no doubt that there is some overlap between the ipad and the mac and i think that that's perfectly okay uh I think that an iPad solves a lot of the computing needs and problems for a lot of people. But at the same time, it's important to kind of look at the iPad not just 
from the perspective of the largest top-end iPad Pro at 12.9 inches and over $1,000, it's important to look all the way down to the iPad mini too. And you know, if you were to say, does the iPad mini solve the computing problems in the same way that a, a Mac Pro does, it certainly doesn't. And so, you know, when I look at all, all these products, to me, it's a continuum where you reach these points of overlap at the borders where, sure, a 12.9-inch iPad Pro may be doing a lot of the same things as an entry-level MacBook Air, but it's also not doing the same things as the Mac Pro. There are a couple of different things. There's thing, First of all, there's, there's just screen size for a lot of the iPads where it's just not conducive to certain kinds of tasks to have a small screen, whether it's, you know, one of the, the original iPads or a mini or whatever it happens to be. The other is, is power. And the iPad Pro, while it's very powerful, it is still constrained by the fact that it doesn't have fans and it's in a really small form factor. That's its advantage in some circumstances. But when you're talking about things like Pro apps, things like Final Cut Pro or uh, things that you know scientists are using in laboratories or Logic or a bunch of other kinds of apps, that is a constraint that I think Apple Silicon is going to show us can be removed by giving more headroom to the thermals of these chips that Apple is designing. So I think it's okay that there's, there's overlap. I do think there are tasks for which having a Mac that isn't necessarily the smallest possible form factor available is better. I think having a keyboard, an integrated keyboard and trackpad is also on laptops for some people is a better solution too than having to put an iPad into a case that has a keyboard or using an external one. So I, I feel like there is, there is a place for both. One of the things that's most interesting to me about Apple Silicon is that you know we've looked for a long time for Apple to bring one of their flagship pro apps to the iPad, something like Xcode or Logic or Final Cut, and they haven't. And I think there's a reason for that. I mean, it's hard. Those apps all need and demand as much screen real estate as they can possibly get. I think it's possible to bring those to a larger iPad. I think it'd be very hard to have a version of that that look that, that works well on a smaller iPad, though. And on top of that, I feel like if you cram something like Xcode in its current Mac configuration or logic onto an iPad Pro, you'd still also want to have a pointing device because there's so many controls and they're so small. Now, yes, they could Apple could design those apps in a way that is more geared towards touch, but I think that that having a version of those apps that is touch only that worked in a touch only mode, which all iPad apps do, would be very, very difficult. And I think there's a probably a hesitation to do that inside of Apple. Now, what the Apple Silicon does is it kind of relieves that pressure valve in that iPad and, uh, and iOS apps are going to work on Apple Silicon Macs. Now, I just got finished saying that those pro apps aren't built for iPadOS or iOS. However, 
they will run on an Apple Silicon Mac alongside those iPad and iPhone apps. So what I foresee for some users at least is that Apple Silicon Macs are going to be the way that someone like me who wants to edit in Logic still but doesn't have that option on the iPad will be able to do that on an Apple Silicon Mac yet still use uh, an app that is you know, only on the iPad or the iPhone. So it's, it's a different perspective. Instead of, kind of, instead of waiting for those things to come to the iPad, those things will already be on Apple Silicon Macs. And so you can bring along any special iPad apps that you don't have available to you built in AppKit and bring those along. And they'll, they won't be the same experience. But if your focus is on those pro apps on Apple Silicon in the first place, they might be good enough. And I think that that's the kind of practical solution that we're seeing a lot from Apple with this um, direction they're going with the Mac is that they're, what Apple is saying is that the future is Swift UI. And at some point, developers will be able to make apps across all platforms targeted to those different types of hardware with using one set of tools. And we're a long way off from that. There are millions of apps that are built on UIKit and AppKit, and it doesn't make economic sense or other there are other reasons not to change those and rebuild them as Swift UI apps. So what Apple is saying, I think, is sure, Swift UI is the future, and we'll get there eventually, but we've got these other ways for you to easily bring your apps across all these platforms. One is just run the iPad and iOS apps on Apple Silicon. And yeah, you know, it might not be perfect, but it'll work. Another is Mac Catalyst. And yes, some of the early Mac Catalyst apps weren't great, but especially with Optimize for Mac, it's possible to make them great. And that really is a very practical decision for developers that they have to make. Do they want to have an app on the Mac that looks maybe a little out of place and is more iPad-like than it is Mac-like? Or do they want to go all the way with the optimized for Mac route and make it fit in better? Those decisions are not just aesthetic and taste decisions. They're also economic decisions because developers are running businesses. And so I think from Apple's perspective, it's a very practical approach that allows those apps to migrate and be usable on things like the Mac now, even if they're not perfect, uh, and, and fulfill a need for users that exists today, but can't be fulfilled yet with Swift UI, which ultimately I think is where this is all going. Yeah, I think you make a lot of great points about how each of these platforms is likely to develop over time, because as you stated with the iPad, it's not just the iPad Pro, it's not just the 12.9 inch iPad Pro, there's a whole range of iPad devices, and the vast majority of them are used as tablets primarily. They're not used as you know, people's primary computer. Uh, I think there's probably a, a growing number of iPad Pros that are, but for the most part, you've got iPad Minis, you've got the, the base-level iPad, which I'm sure is the biggest seller, and, uh, and so there's this range of devices that, that serve different needs, and one message from Apple this year at WWDC in some of the uh, different uh, developer sessions was that if you are building a great iPad app, 
you really need to take into account all of the different ways that an iPad can be used. So it is primarily a touch device. Right? First and foremost, the iPad is about touch. And so you need to make a great app with touch input. Um, but then also, lots of people use their iPad with an external keyboard attached, or people use it with an Apple Pencil, or now people use it with a pointer device, whether that's you know the trackpad on the new Magic Keyboard or a connected mouse or trackpad via Bluetooth. And so you've got to use, you know, take advantage of, as a developer, you've got to take advantage of all these different ways that an iPad can be used. And the Mac, uh, at this point at least, it doesn't quite need to be as versatile. Um, it's versatile in different ways, but not so much from a hardware standpoint in, in terms of the ways that, you know, as, as Federico likes to say, that the iPad can be very modular. Um, you can use it in all these different setups as a tablet, as a laptop, as a desktop, and and it can work well in all those settings. And and so iPad apps need to need to be designed for each of those purposes. And and because of that, in some respects, um, you can't do some of the things on the iPad that that are possible on the Mac because it just wouldn't be as good of an experience. It, if an, a developer was trying to build a, a major productivity tool on the lines of you know, Logic or Final Cut, and they had to support um, the base model iPad, they had to support the iPad mini, um, they had to support not just you know, use on an iPad Pro with a Magic Keyboard attached, where there's both a hardware keyboard and trackpad, but they also had to account for uh, people who want to use the app solely via touch, uh, I think some of those scenarios are are just unlikely to materialize. Like there are certainly alternative apps. Uh, you mentioned Ferrite earlier for podcast editing. I love using Ferrite on my iPad. It's great. But I'm sure that some of the kind of advanced productivity tools that are on the Mac now would be really, really hard to, if not impossible, to build versions of for iPad that were just as powerful, but also were built the way that Apple says iPad apps should be built, which is they work on any of the iPad devices from the smallest iPad mini up to the biggest iPad Pro. They work with touch and potentially with pencil and with a keyboard and with a trackpad or mouse. Like that, that's a big ask to have some really heavy productivity app that's built and designed to accommodate all those different factors. Whereas right. on the Mac, it's, it's a little more simple and straightforward. And so I think that the iPad's versatility, its modularity, seems like one area where Apple's really leaning in um, as far as the future of the device goes and, and the way that it will stay distinct from the Mac in some ways. And then I think the other way is that the iPad is more accessible to Lots of people who maybe were never super comfortable using a computer, um, and now they probably use an iPhone as their primary computer, and maybe they're totally fine just using the iPhone, but if they want something bigger, something a little more capable, it makes sense to use an iPad, which works fairly similarly to an iPhone. Uh, so I think that you know, for, for people who don't necessarily need something heavy or need something that 
that works like a traditional computer. They just want something that's still relatively simple and they, you know, they don't have to learn a whole bunch of new stuff. They use an iPhone now. They can get an iPad and start using that. And I, I think that that kind of user, that kind of customer will continue to be served well by the iPad. Um, they're certainly going to continue to be people uh, like myself or Federico who rely on the iPad as a primary computer and and really push it to the limits of what it's capable of. But I don't think that's necessarily going to be the the main you know target customer for Apple. And uh, and it makes sense. Like I understand that. Whereas what it seems like they're doing is with the Mac really leaning into the Mac being a productivity machine. And I think for me, I, I first started seeing kind of hints of this direction for the Mac because it used to be the Mac. The Mac is, you know, it's a it's a primary computer. It's a computer, period, right? Like back back in the days when right. people debated, and I'm, you know, I'm sure they still do to some extent, but debated whether the iPad could be called a computer or not. Um, but the Mac was a computer. Like if you wanted a standard computery computer, you would get a Mac. And, uh, and now I think, you know, that could still be true, right? If, if you're used to using uh, a Mac or a PC, you might just buy another Mac. But where Apple seems to be kind of trying to distinguish the Mac from the iPad even more so and give the Mac a more unique identity is in the area of productivity. And, uh, you know, a few years ago when the Mac wasn't in a great place and there was kind of the Mac Pro roundtable where Apple executives shared that we are going to build a new Mac Pro and we're also going to do this kind of pro-level iMac. Um, And then, you know, not too long after that, there was kind of another meeting where they shared, oh, and also we have this pro workflow team inside of Apple, which really is, is honed in on how are professionals using our devices, um, our pro devices, including the Mac, but also the iPad Pro. And it seems like, you know, those things, those kind of internal decisions and and changes in some ways, combined with things like um, the behind the Mac marketing marketing campaign, which I, I absolutely love. I think that behind the Mac, for those you know who aren't familiar with it. Um, Apple for the last couple of years or so has had these ads that show different um, famous people, uh, different people who who build great things, who put great things into the world. Um, you know, it'll show images of them, and it'll end with something along the lines of a tagline like, you know, make something wonderful behind the Mac. And so it's this it's this identity for the Mac of being a creation tool, a productivity tool in a slightly distinct way from how the iPad is. And I think that's great. I think, you know, the things that Apple has done in the last few macOS releases have kind of supported that idea of, yeah, the Mac is about getting things done. And you can certainly get things done on the iPad, but with the Mac, we're just, you know, optimizing it to the nth degree to make this the best productivity machine it can be. And I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, but it also has me thinking, as I kind of hinted at earlier, like, what is the best platform for me? You know, what the, Apple is doing more exciting things with the iPad than they have in the past. And so does that mean that I should, or I'm sorry, more exciting things with the Mac than they have in the past? Does that mean that I should 
become a Mac user again in a way that I that I haven't been before. Um, and so I I do want to touch on that a little bit before we wrap up today, so that I can kind of get your input on you know whether you think I'd be happy using the Mac more or not. Um, before we do that, though, you know, not 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 to tease and then make you wait, but um, <laughs> let me thank our our final sponsor for today, uh, and that is Hover. Uh, Hover is one of Relay FM's longest running sponsors, and we're very appreciative of having them sponsor us today. Um, when you have that one big idea, where do you go? For a ton of entrepreneurs, Hover is that big leap. Because your business starts with a domain name. And Hover has over 300 domain name extensions to choose from. No matter what you want to build, there's a domain name waiting for it. They have excellent technical support to answer any questions you may have, and they're dedicated to getting you online, not upselling you. Hover has free Whois privacy, so the bad guys don't get your information, a clean UX and UI, monthly sales on popular top level domains. It's easy to see why Hover is the popular choice for people starting businesses. I've used Hover so many times over the years for various websites because it's just so simple to use. Hover takes all the complexity out of domain management, and it serves its purpose so well that I've never wanted to look elsewhere for my domain needs. It's the kind of service that just works. (laughs) It makes my life hassle-free. So I know that you will like the intuitive user experience and the things that just work straight out of the box with Hover. Um, Their UX UI, like I said, is really simple. It's clean. It's easy to navigate. So you can, today, buy your domain and start using it now. Go to hover.com slash adapt and get a 10% discount on all new purchases. That URL one more time hover.com slash adapt. Make a name for yourself with Hover. Our thanks to Hover for their support of this show and Relay FM. Okay, this is a lot of Mac discussion, uh, but, uh, <laughs> but I, think it's a, I think it's an important one, especially if there are people out there like me who have kind of, you know, they've been following Apple and they've grown dissatisfied in some ways with the Mac. Maybe they're using the iPad as their primary computer, or maybe they're not. Maybe they're just thinking about it because for a while, the Mac just wasn't in a great place. You know, as you mentioned, there's the the butterfly keyboard issues, which plagued the laptops for years. There's, as I talked about earlier, kind of a, a software lag where there just wasn't a whole lot going on on Mac OS, um, at least not, you know, keeping up with the other major Apple platforms. And so, you know, all of this has caused me to, to really think about what is the best main device for me. Um, does, you know, does the Mac have more of a role or should it have more of a role in my life going forward? And I think part of that is a question I can't answer yet because Apple Silicon Macs aren't out in the wild yet and we don't really know what changes they're going to bring. Apple has hinted at the fact that because they have more control over the platform now, um, that they will be able to do some cool things, whatever that means. Um, there's there's all kinds of speculation out there, um, whether it's, oh, Touch is finally going to come to the Mac, or uh, there's going to be an LTE model laptop uh, that's going to have really great battery life, 
it, you know, there's there's lots of speculation, but but no one really knows, right? Because Apple hasn't announced what that first um, laptop, at least, has been is going to be, and so I don't know that there's necessarily much value in kind of talking about things that might happen. But if if there are exciting changes in the ways that you know, Mac hardware evolves, um, even things like you know getting Face ID finally getting really good like front facing cameras um i mean things that the ipad has had for a while but the mac just hasn't i think that you know all of that would push me a little bit more toward the mac um but it really primarily i think for me comes down to software and and this this potential if if i'm getting things right if we're kind of understanding how Apple thinks about these platforms, right? Um, the idea that the Mac's identity is going to continue to be more geared toward kind of pro users and people who want a lot more control over their computer, people who want to do you know all kinds of tasks that maybe the iPad, maybe that it can do in many respects, but it has to do it differently and perhaps in a more limited way. But the Mac doesn't have to have those limitations. Um, and then, you know, even now the Mac potentially will gain the best of the iPhone and iPad as well through running those apps. Um, I, I think it's pretty astounding that the Mac is getting what seems like it's going to be a pretty good experience for running iPhone apps natively when the iPad still runs them in this really terrible compatibility mode where it's only in portrait orientation. It's, you know, you have to blow it up and it gets all blurry like iPhone apps from what I've seen in Big Sur look like they're probably going to be pretty nice. Like it's, it's a smaller window, right? It's going to have constrained dimensions, but that's okay on the Mac where you've got all this space to put some smaller windows. Um, So it seems like the Mac is maybe going to be leaning more heavily into the things that, that I care about. Um, I, I do care about having a lot of control over my computer and, kind of customizing it to be exactly what I want it to be. Um, Something that's been an ongoing frustration for me with the iPad is uh, using a hardware keyboard and just the inconsistency of keyboard shortcuts being available in apps, but also keyboard shortcuts being available on the system as a whole. Like I wish that iPad OS had, you know, manually configurable shortcuts that you could run no matter what apps you're using, but that are universal system-wide shortcuts for you know, all kinds of different tasks, such as um, invoking Siri or handling multitasking or you know, whatever the case may be. And, and the keyboard experience has gotten better for sure on the iPad, but it's not where the Mac is today. And there's all kinds of other things, which I, I'm not necessarily a fiddler in terms of like, I'm going to write scripts and, you know, have all this advanced like coding developer type stuff going on my Mac. Like that's definitely not me. I mean, shortcuts is kind of pushing my, my interest in and my, you know, knowledge of any kind of scripting type thing as it is. Um, But there's still just more things that you can customize and tweak and more kind of utilities that you can download that can have more control of how your computer works on the Mac 
and and that's becoming increasingly appealing to me. Um, and it seems like maybe Apple just doesn't think that iPad users care so much about that. I, I don't know. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm just kind of thinking through where things seem to be heading, and and also evaluating um, what what today is the best computer for me. Uh, another important factor is, you know, just the idea that I don't really use my iPad as a tablet hardly at all. Uh, I, I kind of, I, I knew this before, but it was really confirmed earlier this year when I ordered an 11-inch iPad Pro, and I kind of did this experiment where I was using both the 11-inch and the 12.9-inch and kind of trying to figure out which device was best for me. And I eventually settled on the 12.9-inch primarily because even though I find the 11-inch a really great iPad, like I I could totally be happy and get my work done on the 11-inch. Um, the main advantage of the 11-inch is that it's a better tablet. and right. The main advantage of the 12.9-inch is that it's a better laptop, and I use my iPad as a laptop basically all the time. And so if that's the case, then would a Mac laptop be a better laptop for me? Um, and also, like, I really, as I mentioned earlier, I really love what Apple has been doing with the UI in Big Sur. Um, I'm one of those people, and you can send your hate mail if you want to, but I'm one of those people that absolutely loved iOS 7 and uh <laughs> i know that there were you know some some things that needed to be tweaked and refined over the years and apple has done that but but i i just love that design and um maybe again it's just like i like new stuff i like the new and shiny um maybe it's it's as simple as an arbitrary as that but um but i'm really excited about some of the ui changes in mac os it feels fresh it feels new it feels different and and that's all appealing to me. And so, yeah, I'm I'm just kind of thinking here, like, the iPad is, is going to continue to be an important device in my life no matter what, because it was before I went all in on the iPad Pro. Um, I would use an iPad Mini was actually my, my main iPad when I was still using um, a MacBook Air as uh, my primary computer. And the iPad mini is great. You know, I, I, I wonder if Apple is going to update the iPad mini with a fresh hardware design where it'll look more like the iPad Pro. I think that would be a pretty incredible device. And uh, it could be a great complement to an Apple Silicon Mac laptop. So yeah, like some of this stuff is speculation. Some of it's, you know, unanswered hopes and dreams that may never be fulfilled. but. The majority of it, I think, is just what Apple has already announced in terms of changes and in terms of um, the the strengths and the innovations and the evolutions of the Mac and the iPad. And, and it's just caused me to question more than ever before whether the iPad is still the best primary computer for me. Um, and I feel kind of weird saying that on this podcast. <laughs> um, and, and yes, a little guilty saying that while Federico's away. but. Uh, but yeah, that's kind of where I am today. Like, do you do you have any thoughts on that? Like, you know, I mean, you know me, you know the, the work that I do. Um, it's very similar in many respects to the work that you do. Like, right. do, do you think that, I don't know, what, what frustrations do you maybe foresee that I would run into on the Mac if, if I kind of lean more heavily into using that device? Like, what, what advice do you have for me, if, if any? 
Well, I think one of the one of the, an app that is a good way to think about some of these issues is Ferrite because Ferrite works really well as an alternative to editing podcasts on Logic because it's very focused. It's focused on one thing: editing spoken word podcasts. It is not a Logic replacement by any stretch of the imagination. All you have to do is open up Logic on a Mac. And maybe open up the, there's a sample that, a sample project that they added with the last update to Logic, which is uh, the project for Billie Eilish's uh, song, Ocean Eyes. All you have to do is open that up and see what's going on in Logic in there. And you'll realize that that's not something that is doable in Ferrite because it's not meant to be and probably not doable in a lot of apps on the iPad. So it's... You know, the, the iPad, I think, does a really good job at focusing on one problem at a time, whereas with the Mac, you probably you have more flexibility. You can have an app like Logic, which can both be a podcast editing station and produce, you know, polished professional music. So th- that's one aspect of it. And I don't think with the kind of work that you and I do, we need a whole lot of um, that kind of flexibility necessarily. I mean, I... I really can get almost all my work done on a uh, on an iPad. For me, the difference is a lot of it comes down to the screen sizes. I just like the ability to have a really big screen and move between lots of apps very quickly, and that's that's harder on the iPad. So if I'm working, you know, on something where I'm referring to an email message and I'm got several tabs open in Safari and I'm writing something in a text editor and maybe editing images all as part of one continuous process of putting something together. Sometimes that's just easier to do on a Mac because I can move back and forth quickly to each one. Now, you know, I can have a bunch of spaces open on my iPad and do it that way too. Um, Part of that, the reason I prefer that on the Mac is familiarity and the fact that I've done it that way for a long time. But part of it is just, I think, a little more fluid in moving from one to the other when you have a large number of apps that you're working on, uh, which is why for me, like, I'm not sure that an Apple Silicon laptop is the right device for me. I'm not sure that a laptop is really the right device for me, period, anymore. Now that I have a 12.9-inch iPad Pro, I work it on a Mac Mini with this big screen and it is not the most powerful Mac. I have a pretty high-end Mini, but it's perfectly well-suited to what I do. And I think if you could put uh, you know, Apple Silicon processors in there, I'll, it'll, be, it'll be faster, hopefully, and run uh, less hot so that the fans don't kick in nearly as often. And I think it'll be a good solution. I, I really don't think I'll ever buy another Intel Mac at this point. Now, I do think... I could see myself buying something like a MacBook Air if I'm still feeling like I need a portable solution for editing podcasts and things like that in the future, a handful of things that I might do. Plus, you know, all these decisions are very complicated by the fact that we write about these things and whichever Apple Silicon Mac comes out first is probably going to be the one I buy because someone's going to write about it on the site and it'll probably be me. So, or maybe it'll be Federico. I don't know. We haven't really had that one out yet. If Federico buys the first Apple Silicon Mac and writes about it on Mac Stories, like 
I, I think <laughs> the world will have ended or something. Like, <laughs> I know. Well, I don't know. I mean, stranger things have happened. We'll see. We'll see. I haven't actually talked to him about it. But in any event, I think that, you know, so things like uh, screen size, flexibility, those are both important things. I like, I just like the optionality of having apps. I think it's going to be a long time before every app that is built for the Mac is also on the iPad and the iPhone. And I just like having the, the optionality of being able to have those apps available to me. Even though, as I said, I prefer to use apps that are on across all the platforms, I still feel as though I want the ability to use a Mac app, even if it's just a Mac app, for something that I think will save me time, make my life easier, and that sort of thing. So I think I will always have a Mac, and I'm looking forward to the Apple Silicon Macs. And I think that's a good reason to have a Mac if, if uh, you, know, you want to you want to buy one, that's, that's a good a reason to do it. But for a lot of what we do, we really don't need them. We don't really need, need a Mac. But by the same token, we don't really need an iPad either. We could, we, all of us could get, at Mac Stories, could get by really well with an, a MacBook Air too. Yeah, I, uh, I don't know. It's a hard choice. So yeah, that's why the, the answer, I think, sometimes is all of the above. <laughs> If you can, you know, if you can swing the budget, I mean, it's, it's not a cheap way to go. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I've, I've got a lot of things to think about and, uh, uh, thank you for all your input. Thank you so much for being on the show today, uh, and, sure. and talking through this it's with a pleasure. me. It's, uh, yeah, it's been a very different kind of episode of adapt, but, uh, but a good one, I hope. And, uh, well, thanks for having me, Ryan. I really appreciate it. It's been, I, I've been listening for a long time and it's fun to do the show with you. Well, next time you come on, we, we won't have to talk about the Mac so much. We can, we can talk even more about iPad stuff because you, awesome. you are a heavy iPad user as well. So, uh, well, this has been episode 32 of Adapt. I want to thank our sponsors for today, Mint Mobile, Paperlike, and Hover. If you want to find the show notes for this episode, you can go to our website, relay.fm slash adapt slash 32. And to follow us online, uh, John is on Instagram and Twitter as at John Voorhees. That's J-O-H-N-V-O-O-R-H-E-E-S. And you can find me on Twitter as at IRyan, T-L-D-R. That's I-R-Y-A-N, T-L-D-R. And both of us, of course, are writing at macstories.net. Until next time, goodbye, everybody. Bye.